Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Blackware Intelligence Podcast. Hope you're all doing well. Before we get into the show, let me tell you a little bit about our sponsor, FTX US. FTX US, one of the largest crypto companies in the United States, is the safest, most regulated way to buy and sell Bitcoin, Ethereum, and other digital assets. You might have heard of FTX from their partnerships with Tom Brady, Steph Curry, or their recent Super Bowl commercial with Larry David. With FTX, you can trade crypto with up to 85% lower fees than top competitors. There are no fixed minimum fees, no ACH transaction fees, and no withdrawal fees. You can also use the FTX app to buy your favorite NFTs with no gas fees, supporting both Ethereum and Solana blockchains. Download the FTX app today in minutes and use referral code BLOCKWARE to earn free crypto on every trade over $10. Again, that's referral code BLOCKWARE to get started today. Usually we're hyper-focused on Bitcoin, but right now it's an exciting time in the world of Ethereum. Now, we know a lot of you are holders of ETH, and if you plan on hanging on to that precious ETH long-term, then it's a great time to think about staking that ETH with Blockware Solutions. Staking your ETH in a Blockware Solutions validator node is one of the safest ways to earn rewards while having full control of your assets and contributing to the decentralization of the Ethereum network to help keep it secure. With the upcoming launch of Ethereum 2.0, which moves the network to proof of stake, rewards are anticipated to increase from the current 5% APR to 10 to 15% APR. Right now, it looks like it could happen in June, so stake now before the logjam that is bound to occur as more and more validators come online before the merge. With Blockware Solutions staking as a service, you get an intuitive dashboard that shows you your rewards earned and other vital stats about the validator's performance. For more information, go to BlockwareSolutions.com and click on Request a Quote, and we will get back to you with more information as soon as possible. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another special episode of the Blockware Intelligence Podcast. Today, we have my good friend, Dylan LeClaire, back on the show for a second appearance. We got a lot to talk about today. The Fed just announced their hiking rates about uh, eight minutes ago, so I'm sure we'll get into that. But first, I want to start with uh, how you doing, Dylan? Doing great, man. Feels good to be back. Uh, feels good to, to catch up with you again. I haven't talked in a couple of days, which is, which is long than usual, but turbulent times in uh in the legacy world bitcoin's just chopping around in a range uh little little bit of a switch up than what we got in uh 2021 with with bitcoin crypto going nuts and legacy kind of calm water so it's it's exciting to be you know kind of just have a change of pace in that sense yeah for sure before we get into all the kind of like meat and potatoes of all the finance stuff i know you're in austin right now so how's that going what are you up to there and uh who else is there that from like the bitcoin community yeah, I uh, just did a recording with uh, Peter McCormick uh, talking about some stuff uh, in the legacy world and Bitcoin. Um, went to the Unchained Capital office and uh, there was kind of like a human rights uh, reception with Alex Gladstein, just launched a new book. Uh, so saw a lot, of, a lot of cool Bitcoiners there. Um, definitely a lively kind of uh, Bitcoin crowd uh, in Austin. So Definitely, definitely pretty cool in that sense. Got pitched uh, to move to Austin probably 50 times so far. So uh, we'll see if that happens, but it's, it's nice and, and the weather's, weather's sunny. So it'll be a little warmer complain. than where you are now. Yeah. I mean, I, I took the day before I took off, I got 10 inches of snow. So it feels nice to be, uh, to be down south. There you go. When was the first like meetup you went to? Because you've been a lot more active with like the in-person stuff. I haven't been to a single uh conference or meetup or whatever you want to call it so like what was the what was the first one that you went to and like what was kind of your experience with like meeting bitcoiners in person 
Yeah, dude. I, uh, in, in, uh, August of 2020, I went to uh, Bitblock boom, which was kind of a, it's like a niche Bitcoin, uh, meetup in Dallas. Uh, I didn't know really anybody except a couple anons on Twitter. Like I was myself an anon on Twitter. Um, <laughs> and so just went there with, with really no plan, but went by myself, um, and met a bunch of cool people. And ultimately that's kind of how I got my, uh, start, uh, in the, in the industry, if you want to call it, um, met some guys from, from BMAG and, uh, kind of parlayed it into a, into a job opportunity, which is pretty cool. So, you know, definitely encourage people, like, especially if you, uh, you know, spend all, like all your time, like, like I do and like we do, uh, kind of on the, on the crypto Twitter, Bitcoin Twitter, then it feels good to kind of meet some of these people in person and, uh, it feels more real in that sense. Yeah, for sure. What are you doing? You talk about Bitcoin Magazine, obviously. Um, what are you doing there? And I know recently you started working at UTXO Management. So uh, I guess walk us through, like, what do you do at Bitcoin Mag specifically? And then as well, what's this new role that you've taken on at UTXO Management? What's kind of your day-to-day look like there? Yeah, so um, head off the, the market research uh, for, for Bitcoin Magazine. Obviously, a Bitcoin focus, but we, we look at all sorts of things in legacy markets, uh, Bitcoin, there's there's on-chain analysis, derivative market stuff, as well as kind of macro as that increasingly plays a role in the price action of Bitcoin. So uh, was doing was doing that since uh, about last summer, uh, heading off the, the deep dive, which uh, we are rebranding uh, uh, name to be announced soon. But uh, that's that's been my role for the longest time. And then recently, about a couple months ago, not exactly sure when, uh, joined uh, their hedge fund as as a lead analyst to kind of navigate the the turbulent times that we're in um so uh, not not uh, pulling the the trigger uh yet personally uh with the fund but more so just kind of giving input uh as to what i'm seeing how many guys work at the fund and like i guess what's kind of your specific i know you touched on the name of your role but like what are you you know what are you doing in and out is it just your filtering through research and then you know sending it over to some of the people who are executing trades or like how you know what's, what's kind of your your day-to-day or just general role there yeah somewhat of a small team um i think like five or six uh and and really kind of day-to-day just yeah just kind of sending along what i'm seeing um somewhat informal i mean we we meet on a daily basis but just um really in particular um my role is, has been focused um on kind of the deteriorating credit condition so i mean you know, kind of look at charts all day for, for better or worse, uh, as well as kind of like, you know, uh, podcasts and the like uh, to kind of filter through what, what I try to find to be quality information. So my role is just kind of uh, to, to give um, input and, and try to maybe uh, be aware of some of the market trends before things are priced in. Um, so started that a couple months ago was, was more so just kind of managing capital for myself, <laughs> obviously, uh, since, uh, since early 2019 uh, when I was like legally allowed to do so uh, but it, it feels good to kind of be part of a, a bigger role yeah for sure are you you're obviously well you're obviously going to be at uh, Bitcoin 2022 what are you doing there I think we're doing a panel together like an on-chain <laughs> panel so I don't even know exactly uh, who else is going to be on that panel so I'm, I'm curious personally to know as well as what other panels are you doing or, you know, you know, are you speaking and doing any other, other kinds of things there individually? Yeah. Bitcoin 2022 is going to be a great time. I think uh, proprietary as to how many people exactly are showing up, but I, I believe definitely more than 20,000 um, going to be wild. Uh, it's going to be beautiful. We are speaking on an on-chain panel, I believe with Checkmate 
uh, and one other, I should know this off the top of my head. So forgive me if I'm forgetting uh, who you are, if you are listening. Um, but yeah, I think maybe doing one other panel, don't love public speaking, but uh, you know, it is what it is. Um, I think maybe having some other roles and kind of the, the setup of it all, but more so just going to be, you know, having fun and connecting with awesome people. Yeah, it'll be fun. How was it last year? Because I wasn't at the one last year. I'm sure it was pretty nuts getting all those Bitcoin people in just one spot. Yeah, it was. There was around ten thousand last year. Uh, only complaint uh, from from people, or the biggest was uh, the line <laughs> at the the first day. We just logistically just there was some some confusion, and so people are waiting in the the sun in in Miami for uh, you know the the back end of people for probably an hour or two, maybe, maybe three, unfortunately, uh, but we'll have that all figured out. I think it's going to be a pretty smooth ride. Uh, and there is a music festival at the last day. So uh, it's going to be more of a, a party towards the tail end. So I think it'll be a fun time. Dope. Yeah. I think I'm leaving uh, the evening of the ninth, but we'll definitely link up and do some stuff. Some, you know, sometime during that day, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out uh, for sure. No. Let's go ahead and like kind of dive into, I guess, the, the quote unquote meat and potatoes. Obviously, today, we just, you know, as we just mentioned 15 minutes ago, Fed just announced they raised rates 25 basis points. Uh, what does this mean for the market? You know, is Bitcoin going to zero? Is it all over? Um, you know, what, is, what does this mean for the Bitcoin market uh, as well as legacy markets? Because, you know, I think you've been one of the, uh, you know, bigger voices on Twitter kind of highlighting what's going on with credit markets and just kind of you know, shaky macro backdrop that we have going on. So uh, I guess, you know, kind of highlight what's that thesis been for you and and how does, uh, you know, this announcement now kind of play into that thesis? Yeah, so I think uh, one of the things to highlight is that uh, the kind of conditions, market conditions in general broadly uh, really changed in November. And and myself personally, I didn't nail uh, the pivot. Like I'm not gonna, not gonna pretend I did, um, but really with kind of inflation hitting uh, you know, accelerating past 5%, 6%, 7%. Uh, now we're at, you know, 40 year highs, maybe 50 year highs, depending on uh, this Russia Ukraine situation and the commodity shortages around the world. Um, the Fed has gone from essentially, you know, having that kind of implicit Fed put uh, and protecting markets to, you know, being somewhat of a political liability from the inflation front. Uh, Powell said, you know, and I think it was late October, maybe early November, he said, I was wrong. We were wrong about inflation being transitory. We got to fix this. Uh, and although they just raised rates, uh, 25 basis points, what really I think is the most telling thing is that credit markets are doing all the work for them. So if you look at short end of the curve, treasury yields uh, right now, the, the 10 years at 2.23%. Um, um, and so if you just even like the, the one year treasury at 1.3, uh, that was near, they were near rock bottom 0%. I'm not sure like, exactly the low, but the short end of the curve has, has really, um, risen significantly. And so for, you know, anyone not too well versed in credit land, uh, bond yields trade inverse to the price of bond. So obviously as a fixed income investor, if inflation's at 40 year highs, if your CPI is at 8% and you're holding a treasury, uh, that's, you know, giving you 2% yields. Well, in your, in real terms, you're getting killed minus 6%. So what do you do? You sell that off. And so thus, um, because of this inflationary regime, um, that, you know, the fed said they were caught off guard by uh, fixed income in, in general has gotten killed, not just treasuries, but also kind of corporate securities, junk bonds, investment grade across the board. You have also mortgage rates rising. So 
not only uh, are we seeing broad-based commodity uh, inflation, CPI inflation, particularly energy, right? If you look at what happened in the 08 crisis uh, and with, with energy prices going parabolic, that was another kind of big factor in the deterioration of, of economic conditions, right? It, it impacts consumer, uh, consumer balance sheets, corporate balance sheets, and, and margins across the board. Um, as well as it, it basically, uh, you know, puts inflationary pressure, which further deteriorates liquidity because credit sells off. Uh, so where are we today? Uh, kind of in a in a pretty in a pretty ugly position where uh, you know we are more indebted as a, a total economy as we've ever been. Federal debt to GDP is over a hundred percent. Corporate debt to GDP is at all time highs following this decade long uh, you know negative real yield binge. Uh, and specifically after COVID, uh, with you know the the massive amount of, of fiscal and monetary stimulus in tandem, uh, the economy is as more over indebted than it's ever been, and we're facing a situation where the Fed's uh, you know kind of regime has changed. They're now saying we're going to tighten, but again, the Treasury market's doing that for them. So yields are rising across the board, which leads to higher financing costs uh, in a historically over indebted economy. And not to, not to beat a, a, a you know a dead horse, but um, I don't think many market participants have, have grasped this. So while increasingly the, the developments of Bitcoin have been really, really bullish, right? I've said multiple times, BTC as a numerator, I've never been more bullish. But how the credit system works and the economy more broadly, uh, when you see a recession, when you see a period of credit contraction and kind of a liquidation of malinvestment, what's happening is that dollar is bidding. USD is strengthening. Um, also against other foreign currencies. So which means that foreign uh, foreign debtors have to sell their dollar denominated assets to raise cash. Um, so that's kind of why I've been increasingly, I guess if you want to call it bearish. I mean, I'm not long-term bearish by any means on Bitcoin, uh, but more so just kind of with elevated volatility and everything in the legacy markets. Uh, it doesn't look like an ugly picture. And I don't think we're in the up only by the dip regime that everyone came to know of uh, post COVID. How do you see this all kind of like playing out in the end? You know, I think there's a slew of outcomes we could see, but I know privately we've talked in kind of how your position for this is, you know, you're obviously like holding your long-term BTC, but you're perhaps allocated to more cash than you traditionally would be. Um, so how do you kind of see this playing out? What kind of scenarios Because obviously, you know, everything is nuanced. So what kind of scenarios do you think would have to play out for you to look to start, you know, deploying some of that cash, uh, albeit, you know, some complete meltdown in the, in the uh, credit markets. And you just basically see this massive like dollar short squeeze that you described um, or, you know, what 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 else would you, you know, that just come out, came out and said, hey, we're going to go ahead and implement, you know, yield curve, yield curve control. Um, you know, what kind of scenarios would you have to see for you personally to kind of change how you're how you're seeing the market now? Yeah. So, I mean, still Definitely net long Bitcoin. Um, just I don't think it makes sense from a tax perspective to to sell um, just because of you know personal cost basis yada yada. Um, I do have some cash. Uh, the good news is, unlike you know, if you want to look at February March of 2020, uh, derivatives have have basically completely de-risked um, and for periods of time are actually like you know bearish. Uh, whether you're looking at uh, you know, funding rates, or I think that three month basis is at like a 2% annualized rate. So there's almost no kind of long speculative bias in crypto markets, Bitcoin, which is, which is good. Um, you know, when, when I would flip was, I, I really think this all ends um, and I could be wrong, right? Like it is all probabilistic and nothing is certain, but I think 
ultimately uh, we're seeing kind of a gradual deleveraging uh, in, in legacy markets with deteriorating liquidity conditions uh, and kind of all of this levered beta unwinding. And I think it ultimately ends in a, in a large capitulation uh, in, in legacy markets. Um, so kind of what we've seen is institutions have basically significantly de-risked um, a lot of like the kind of like ARK investment sort of stuff, uh, NASDAQ, that higher beta stuff. You can see institutions are, are dumping as retail is continuing to buy the dip. Uh, on a net basis and and the stocks are and the, the performers are still getting killed. Uh, and so you know there will be really strong short squeezes and, and kind of reversal rallies. but the the Nasdaq going down three percent and up three percent you know on a daily basis is not a sign of a bull market. Um, and ultimately, I think and uh, you know I along with cash, I have uh, some like equity market and credit market volatility plays. so um, like, long long putts on high yield debt investment grade debt um etc as as more of like a as a long volatility type strategy um because ultimately i don't think i don't think bitcoin itself uh is insulated from that because of that usd denomination right um and so even if like a bunch of people are buying the dip right the the kind of developments with the the russian uh ukraine thing with Bretton woods 2.0 kind of being like you know a lot of people are saying like signposts this uh, this dollar regime, petrodollar system, is on its last legs, and we've seen a ton of developments there. Like that's all super bullish for Bitcoin. Um, so there could be a period of of significant outperformance. I mean, it wouldn't shock me. I've seen Stranger Things, and if Bitcoin <laughs> made new all time highs in in the next few months, like I'm not writing that off, which is why I'm not net short Bitcoin. Uh, but ultimately, I think this regime, uh, this kind of inflationary regime, ends with a complete meltdown in credit markets, an explosion of volatility, uh, and the Fed basically implementing yield curve control, or maybe they don't call it that. Maybe it's a, you know, a, a treasury purchase, uh, you know, uh, agreement or whatever, like anything to kind of ease these markets and continue their, their balance sheet expansion. I, I believe that's ultimately uh, what's going to happen. Uh, we can't, they can't materially uh, tighten, right? Like, I mean, even a, a 25, 50 basis point hike next meeting, Fed funds at 1% or 2%, like the bond market's doing it all for them. There, it's already selling off. It's just, it's, it's more just signaling than anything. Um, and so I think at some point something breaks, probably in 2020, uh, 2022, I'm sorry, maybe later. Um, but I think just an explosion of, of volatility across asset classes, we're seeing elevated foreign exchange volatility, commodity volatility, equity volatility, credit market volatility. Um, and, and really that's, during a time when Bitcoin's just chopping around. So, you know, do we sweep the 30K lows? It's anyone's guess, um, but we've seen a relatively strong bid in that 30K range. I just think that we really haven't seen the, the devastating sort of move that I think is, is more likely than not, or at least uh, than, than the market's pricing it uh, in, in equities and credit. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I think what you're talking about, you see a lot of people on Twitter saying, well, like who would sell BTC sub 30K. And I think what a lot of people miss is that you're not selling stuff that you want to sell. You're selling stuff that you have to sell. With that in mind, uh, you know, I do think it's kind of remarkable how well BTC has held up over the last month or so, given a lot of kind of the headwinds that it's faced. I mean, pretty much every, you know, aside from like another like nation state ban or something like that, like we saw with China, um, you know, we've seen pretty much every headwind that you could think of and BTC is still chilling right around 40K. So I do think that's, that's honestly quite impressive. Um, and if you were to kind of 
give me the uh, current backdrop for Bitcoin, whatever, three, four months ago, and, you know, say we're still going to be trading 40K, I would say no way we'll be like sub 30. But um, again, like we'll see if, you know, if what you're talking about does play out, I think what people need to keep in mind is that, you know, in, in an event like that, you're not selling stuff that you want to sell. It's just you're selling things that are the most liquid. Bitcoin's a 24-7, you know, liquid market. And so, you know, that's going to be one of the first things to sell off. Conversely, it'll probably be one of the things that bottoms out first, as we saw, you know, in March 2020. And uh, as we kind of talked about offline, I think if something like, you know, not that this will happen, but if a scenario like that does play out, I think that's kind of the no-brainer area to get extremely long um, in, you know, in preparation for something similar, you know, not the exact same thing as March 2020, but, you know, a similar kind of setup to that. Um, Dylan, what do you think about kind of this I've had this, I don't want to say thesis because I haven't put like a whole bunch of thought into it, but just general idea of the process of kind of like deglobalization, I think with, you know, the pandemic, first of all, and then lately with, um, you know, the kind of pressures on energy prices um, with the kind of Russia-Ukraine conflict, uh, it seems like we're now going to start to see this pivot back to, um, you know, bring infrastructure back to within uh, each country's borders, especially in the United States. At least that seems like the logical thing to do um, in regards to energy. So do you think we'll start to see that kind of trend play out and this kind of, you know, sovereign individual these, uh, you know, thesis, uh, you know, for anyone who's, who's read the book, I know you have. So do you think that's starting, we're starting to see kind of the early signs of, of you know, that trend shift, broader trend shift kind of playing out? And, and if so, or if not, you know, what does that mean to, for Bitcoin? Yeah, I do definitely think uh, we kind of, you know, maybe in February, um, and, and I'll preface this with saying I'm not a geopolitical expert. I My quote-unquote expertise is listening to other really smart people and what they have to say and, and sort of just filtering through that information. Um, so what, what other smart people are saying is that uh, the, you know, peak globalization uh, is basically, I think, a line in the sand that we saw last month. If you want to think of it as you know, post COVID where we saw supply chains getting shattered and, you know, the talks of we need to bring up reshore supply chains as a matter of national security. Well, you can say, you know, 2020 was that, but um, in terms of, in terms of Russia, Ukraine, and now increasingly around the world, uh, nations becoming very protectionist uh, with their, with their trade policy and their exports, uh, whether that's agricultural, whether that's energy, I think there's a decent chance just on what some really smart, uh, you know, geopolitical thinkers are saying that the U.S. Uh, somewhat kind of bans or, or halts oil exports exports uh, to to tamper that uh, you know that kind of spike in energy costs. Um, there's probably a non-zero chance of that, um, as well as um, just re- reading what some of the stuff uh, that people are saying about Russia and their energy uh, and the pipelines is that you know if they're basically every nation is, is saying we don't want your energy. Uh, and the, all their pipelines currently to China uh, that, that don't go to ports are full. Um, so what this means is that they're basically at full capacity now. And the, the way that oil works, it's not like Bitcoin miners where you can just like flip it on or off. Like they have to keep pumping. And so if, if they're, all their reserves are full, they have nowhere to put it uh, and they don't have the necessary infrastructure to you know, store it, then those, those uh, you know, rigs have to shut off. Those, those oil drilling sites have to shut off. And for that, that's about, you know, 10 million barrels of oil a day. Um, and so also like, you know, never mind the fact that, you know, they supply about 40% of Europe's natural gas uh, and just look at those prices, right? So if we have re- reached a sort of like peak globalization, um, which I think, you know, we may have, uh, then 
in general, the, the kind of disinflationary forces that we saw since the 90s, but really in particular since the two, early 2000s, where we saw CPI at 2%, 3% at the high, really, um, you know, to like 2% while asset inflation and M2 expansion was 10% year over year, right? Um, as long as there's no consumer inflation, uh, things were fine. And so if we are, never mind the fact that like, you know, there's probably somewhat of a short-term spike uh, and that and that rate of change comes down from say maybe 10%, maybe 12% to around normalizing around five or 6% over the next three years, right? Maybe I'm being, maybe I'm being too conservative. Maybe I'm being um, not, not kind of uh, like, I, maybe I'm, I'm lowballing it, but just say 5%, right? Then, then credit markets in general have a long way to go to sell off. And that means much higher discount rates. And that means that the system completely melts down uh, with, with that higher inflation. And so ultimately, I, I think that what that what higher sustained higher inflation rates on the consumer side means is that ultimately the Fed probably monetizes like almost all of the credit markets. Because if you're just thinking about it, corporate corporate financing rates, junk bonds and and if like I think 50% of of equities are junk issuers at this point, or like triple Bs. I'm not sure, I don't have the exact data, but I know it's at all time highs. And so th those rates for, for financing is like 6%. And that's, that's after junk bonds have already gotten killed. So 6%, but CPI is at 8%. And unlike treasuries, issuers can nominally default on their debt. Corporates can go insolvent, they can go bankrupt. And so as a, as a creditor, it makes zero sense to take a negative real yield on a junk bond when there's not even default risk priced in. Whatever that you know probability of default is, one percent, two percent, three percent, you have to take that into account. Um, so in general, if we have reached this point of, of peak globalization and inflation is not going to go back to two percent over the next five years on average, well, you know something <laughs> is going to break, uh, and that means that you know if if the Fed's uh, kind of two pronged mandate is is uh, inflation and uh, you know price stability and employment? Well, <laughs> let me tell you: if, if corporate rates go to eight percent or Treasuries go to you know five percent, the the employment is going to be the problem because there's going to be mass insolvency. And so you know the worst job in the world, I think, is Jerome Powell. Uh, I don't know why he took a second term, um, but in general, uh, that peak globalization, if we have reached that point, and I'm you know. My guess is as good as anyone's. I just, like I said, listen to smart people. Then, you know, there's there's going to be material change uh, in the coming decade, and I think you know, with that, there's also a lot of financial opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Dylan, I think that's a good place to wrap it up. I know this was a a bit shorter one. I told you we'll keep it, you know, kind of short and sweet. And I think we we hit on a lot of good stuff. So um, I'll let you enjoy your time in Austin, man. And uh, before we wrap up, just want to give you a quick plug to hand people off to your Twitter, which I'm sure mostly everyone's following. Uh, but, you know, the, the deep dive TBD um, to what that's going to be uh, turned into. But, uh, you know, hand off to everything or any last comments you want to give before we wrap up. Yeah, I mean, I appreciate you having me on, man. It was, it was good to connect uh, and kind of bounce ideas off you. Uh, you can just find me on Twitter if you're interested in some of the some of the research that I do uh, with BM. Uh, you can just check my uh, the link in my bio, if not. Um, we do focus on some of the on-chain stuff, which you know we should mention is is pretty bullish. But uh, while we're in kind of this weird environment, uh, I think that marginal macro seller is what's driving everything. But you know we do we do incorporate kind of that three-prong analysis of of macro, Bitcoin supply side, and and derivatives. Um, so yeah, 
uh, you can find me there and find me on the bird app and I'm, I'm sure we'll be, uh, you know, memeing back and forth at each other. Cool. All right. Thanks so much, man. I can't wait to see you in uh, April. We'll have a blast. Yes, sir, bro. Peace. Take it easy.